Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. So we're in the third week of a series. Thanks for the girl. Thanks, man. I do preach better with a soundtrack, but you may get tired. Yeah. Last week, a couple of weeks ago, we began a, uh, we began a series called Like a Child, Like a Child. How many of you have been here for the last couple of weeks? Amen. Yeah, good. If you haven't, let me encourage you to catch up. How many of you in the balcony have been here the last couple of weeks? Okay, cool. Nobody raised their hand up there. I thought you were all brand new. Um, let me encourage you to grab the, uh, grab the podcast from a couple of weeks so you kind of catch up about where we are, where... We're talking about what it's like uh, to approach God like a child would approach God and what it's like to have childlike faith. Everybody say childlike. childlike. Not childish. There's a difference. Childish faith is immature faith. Childish faith goes to God when things don't go right and it whines and throws a tantrum and kicks its feet up and down and screams at God and says, why me, why me? Have you ever done that? I, I've done that. I've done that this week. <laughs> At 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning with Brother Henry, our, our youngest, uh, I've been doing that. Why me? That's what childish faith says. Childish faith, listen, childish faith is when God doesn't answer the prayer the way you think he should. Then you get angry and quit coming to church and, and, and stop tithing and do a bunch of crazy stuff like that. And then... Two, three months later, two, three years later, two, three decades later, when your life's in shambles, you go, man, I probably shouldn't have done that. That was a bad idea. Things, uh, things didn't look up after that. That's childish faith. We're not talking about childish faith. We're talking about childlike faith. Childlike faith is coming to God with innocence and saying, what if I were to view the things of God and eternal things like a child would view those things? How would that look? How would my relationship with God look? What would it look like if I sort of said, okay, God, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to say exactly what it is you say. I'm going to take what it is that you say is available to me literally. I'm going to pretend I don't have sort of all the religious baggage that many of us carry. I'm going to pretend that I don't have, you know, all of those preconceived ideas about what God should do and how God should work. I'm just going to come to God with innocence and like a child. There, there's, there's no way than in any other area of your life you've ever said this. How many of you have ever said, man, I, re- I think I can get this promotion at, at, at work if I'll just act like a two-year-old? <laughs> no. How many of you have ever said, I think I can get out of debt if I will learn how to earn and save like a toddler, if I can just do that? <laughs> how many of you like sports? You're like, I don't, but it's in my notes. Uh, how many of you like... <laughs> How many of you, uh, have you ever seen ESPN and, and you've seen a coach get in the huddle and say, guys, I think we can win this if we just act like a bunch of five-year-olds. If everybody acts like a five-year-old, I think we can win this game. There's no other segment of your life or society that it makes sense to approach it like a child. There's no other thing that, that you can do sort of as you mature, as you grow up, you sort of abandon all those or those things. And if you're not careful... When you approach the things of God and spiritual things and eternal things, you're, you kind of have that same idea. Well, I'm too grown up for that. I'm too grown up to sort of take God at his word. Here's what we say. Listen close. Here's what we say. 
well, I've lived too much to, to, to take it like that. You know, I've seen too much. To, I, I, I've lived through too much. Surely God can't be truthful. Surely the thing that he said he would do, I don't think... I don't, and we sort of taint our experience with God based on our past experience with life. And if life sort of goes a different direction, if we lose someone that we love dear, then we have a tough time receiving that God's our healer. Say amen to that. Amen. If things fall apart that you wish would have stayed together, a relationship or a marriage or a job or a career, then you start to think, man, how is God a provider? Because my experience tells me that things don't always work the way that God says that they should work and could work in my life. And so it's difficult to come to God like a child. But here's the truth of the matter, and this is sort of the root system of what we're talking about. If you have your Bibles or an application on your smartphone or or a tablet, let me encourage you to grab those and mark the 10th chapter. This is sort of where we have overarchingly looked at the last couple of weeks. And Jesus is talking and he says this, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child. Now listen to this. This is very, very harsh language. Matthew 10, this is harsh language, I'm sorry, Mark 10, I, I don't know, I don't know if I could preach this harsh, I mean, this is, this is, this is real stuff, this is sort of, you know, looking people in the eyes and saying, listen, what you think about God's kingdom may not be true, and so Jesus is doing that, and he says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will by no means, everybody say no means, no means. enter it, in other words, there is nothing you can do other than this means. There are no other means by which you can get to God except childlike faith. There is no other way to get the things of God unlocked in your life except childlike faith. Let me sort of set the story up for you. If you're new to faith or new to the Bible, there were children that were coming to Jesus and and uh, they were sort of pressing into the crowd and they were kind of you know, hanging around him while he was trying to teach and the disciples sort of were pushing those those kind of people away and, you know, pushing those kids away. And, and, and Jesus sort of walks into that scene and he sort of he uses this as an opportunity. It really was about protecting children, but it was more than about protecting children. It was more about teaching disciples how to get and how to unlock and how to participate in kingdom living. How many of you would, would love to the things that you read in your Bible, have those things unlocked in your life. Would you raise your hand all over the house? Come on, keep your hand raised. I want the things the Bible says, what God says is available to me. I want those things in my life. I want healing and I want restoration and I want provision and I want blessing and I want God to answer. And Jesus is teaching, Jesus is teaching this way. And it's more than just the physical kids that are there. Jesus is saying to these disciples, listen, if you want that stuff in your life, If you want to unlock the kingdom, you have to learn how to come like a child. You have to learn how to get to God like a child get to God. So for the last couple of weeks, we said this. If you haven't been here, write these two down. The the first week, we we said this, that I know that God is for me. We said God's for me. God's for me. God's able. God is for me. He's able to do in my life what... He says he can do in my life. He is for me. He's for my blessing and he's for my healing and he's for my salvation. God is not against me. Maybe you grew up in a religious tradition that taught you that God is a really, really, really old man with a really long beard waiting to squash you, you know, for doing something wrong. And 
kind of like Santa Claus. I don't know why we do that, but that's not who God is. God is for us. It is God's will for you to live an abundant life on this earth. That's God's will. Then last week, Pastor Josh said that I know that God is with me. Come on. You took notes, didn't you? Good. God is with me. Cheat off somebody. Look on somebody's paper. God's with me. So, so Pastor Josh talked about the presence of God. And, and he said, God's with me. You remember Vaughn, the extremely large brother, uh, was with Pastor Josh. I was going to use that illustration, but I'm scared he's going to stumble over me and kill me. You know what I mean? Because I'm littler than, than Josh is. He said, God's with me. And what would it be like if, if I sort of viewed the presence of God as not this mystical, spooky thing that we talk about that we feel on our skin and do goosebump weird stuff with? What if we went to the presence of God like a child looks at the presence of God and said, God is with me. He is beside me. He walks with me. I can talk with him. I can hear him talk to me. And I can receive from him. Say amen to all of that. So tonight, we're going to talk about what it is to look at God through the eyes of of a child, and we're going to sort of view this particular eternal truth this way, that God forgives me, that my God forgives me. Everybody say, He forgives me. We're going to talk about forgiveness and grace tonight. God forgives me. You know, you know who understands grace better than a lot of people? Kids get grace and forgiveness more than we do. True, true story. They, they understand forgiveness because when they get in trouble, if you have kids, especially you know, kids, still young kids at home, when, when the world stops, when, when things get in trouble, when, when, they get, when they get punished and everything, something doesn't go that way, sort of everything comes to a screeching halt and there's only one thing that will solve this problem with a child. And it's restoration. The only thing a child wants when they're in trouble is who? Mama. If you're a daddy and you thought it was you, you can't be more wrong. You can't be more wrong. I thought when we had a girl first, we have a little, a, a little girl who's almost three years old, and I, I thought, man, this is going to be good because I grew up with a little brother. I, I never, you know, we, we weren't raised around girls, and so Pastor Josh had a sister. He kind of knew what that looked like, but I, I didn't know what it was like to have a daddy's girl. And so I thought, Justin, I thought when they came out, they were already daddy's girls. I was wrong. <laughs> and I have spent three years trying to turn her against her mother and bring her... <laughs> Come on, Sam. That's what, that's what we're going to do, bub. Sam's got a little girl. That's, that's what we're trying to do. And it's, so far, it has yet to work. Because here's what happens. When my little three-year-old gets in trouble, when she gets in trouble, if I, oh God, if I do the punishing, she immediately runs to mom. And it doesn't matter how, I mean, it could be timeout, which is, honestly, is that really punishment? Seriously. And, and it could be timeout. And my little girl's a creative, artistic type, so nothing makes her happier than staring at the corner and singing songs from Frozen. <laughs> nothing. You have rewarded her by letting her go sit in the corner and sing to herself. <laughs> Daddy, I've been looking for a timeout all day. <laughs> but if I give it, she goes straight to mama and she points and she says horrible things about, like I just, you know, drew blood when I whipped her. And, and none of that happened. It was just, it was simple. It was a timeout. It was a... Here's the thing that surprised me, however, Brother Ted. Here's the thing that surprised me about having a little girl, especially uh, first, you know, daddy's girl. Remember? 
The thing that surprised me is not that when I get on to her, she runs to mom. It's that when mom gets on to her, she still wants mom. I'm trying to work against this. I don't understand how this works, but I don't like it. Mom could beat her senseless. She doesn't do that. She could. And the next breath when she catches her breath from crying is I want a hug. I want mama. I want to come with mom. And it makes me crazy because I think I, I just put her in time out and she runs to you. And you knock her head off and she runs to you. <laughs> why does she do that? So you know why I'm trying to turn her against her mother. Because I can't win. You, you, you know why this is? Listen, you know why this is? It's because kids understand grace. And the only thing a child wants when things are bad and when they get in trouble and when they get punished, when things are falling apart, is restoration. It's the only thing they want. And they understand that even though mom and dad, even though they are punishing me, the thing I want most is to run back into right relationship with them. I can fix what I did wrong if I can be restored to. And when we grow up, we lose the ability to understand grace like a child. When we get in trouble and God doesn't answer and things look bad and we get punished or we seem to get punished or it looks like things are falling apart, it appears as though God's upset with us or we can't figure out where God is, we run the other direction from God. We say God must have been mad at me. There's no way God could forgive me for this. When we sin, we quit going to church. We quit showing up for, for Bible study. We, we, we stop being in relationship. When a child sins, they go right back into relationship. And Jesus said this, to understand forgiveness, you have to understand it through the eyes of a child. That the first thing I must do, you must do, when we find ourselves in sin, when we find ourselves struggling with unforgiveness, there's no, when we find ourselves and, and we're embarrassed about what we've done and we're humiliated that we fell to the temptation again and we're scared of what's going to happen, you and I have to, must, listen close, we have to run as fast as we can get back into right relationship with our Father. That's grace to the eyes of a child. They understand it better than that. Well, I have, I have a, a, little, a little brother who, uh, who is three years younger than me, and uh, he lives in, in Arkansas with, with uh, he doesn't live with my parents, he lives in the same town as my parents. And so growing up, we shared a bedroom. Did you have to share a bedroom? Were you, were you abused as well? <laughs> All the abused kids, raise your hand again. I had to share a bedroom. My little brother. And I, we did this, Josh, you, so you had sisters, so better. We, um, we, we did this till I was maybe 14, 13, 14 years old. I always had my brother in my room with us. And, and we, would, we would fight and, and scream and, you know, and he was bad and just did bad things. And I was not. And <laughs> I was a victim most of my life. Not true. And so we would fight. And mom would, you know, if you're raised in the South, I don't know why this is, but they just yell more. Sister Carol yells more. There's no doubt. They just scream. They do, don't they? Yeah. 
So mom would yell down the hallway, that meant nothing to us. That just meant intensify sort of what we were doing. You know what I mean? Just kind of ramp it up. Mom's cheering us on. You know what I mean? So, so it would come again and, and, and she would, you know, if, if I have to come down there, y'all do that. If I have to come down there. And, and then the third time when she did come down there, it was limbs were flying. She, <laughs> terrible things. And, and, she would, and she, would, she would break us up and, and you know, and, and we'd be crying and bloody and whatever. And, and she would say, you have to apologize to your brother, right? You ever do that? And so, and so we would, you know, barely utter, just <laughs> barely. I'm sorry. And, and, then, and then he would have to, I didn't hear you, baby. What'd you say? My mom was an antagonist like that, you know what I mean? <laughs> What'd you say? And I'd have to say it louder, and then and she'd make my brother, his name's Jeremy. She said, Jeremy, you have to apologize. And then he would apologize. And then, and then the worst thing that she did, that we're, we're kind of borderline child abuse, was she would make us, she would make us hug. Come here, Pastor Josh, come here. We'd have to, no. No. So we'd have our hands in our pockets because that's just what you did when you got in trouble. You put your hands in your pockets and, and, and I said, I'm sorry, and he said, sorry, and then we'd have to hug. But guys at 10, 11 years old, 12 years old, we, you don't hug. You just, we don't do that. And so it would just kind of be like a, love you, bye. You just, and that wasn't okay. And you'd get closer and you'd get closer and you'd, and you'd finally have to, you'd have to hug. Here's the interesting thing I found about that. I'll tell you the whole story today this. 30 seconds after this bitter exchange where the heavyweight champion of my room was determined, you know, where we couldn't say, I'm sorry, where we couldn't look at each other in the eye, where we, where, where we, we couldn't hug, we couldn't touch. 30 seconds later, we were best friends again. Because, listen, listen, hang on. Because children understand grace. Because unforgiveness comes easy. I'm sorry, forgiveness comes easy. Unforgiveness comes it comes so easy to us. It's so easy for us to just sort of say, there's no way I can be in relationship again. When you're a child, you just jump back into relationship. And adults don't do that as easy. Here, here's the truth I want. Child views grace and forgiveness. We have to know this, that God can forgive anything There's nothing too hard for our God to clean up and wash away. There's nothing you've done that God can't forgive. There's nothing you've done that God can't forgive. Listen, and not only can He, but God wants to restore relationship with His kids. Shout amen to that. Grab your Bibles. Let's look at them. Let's see what God says about this. 1 John 1 John, the first chapter in the New King James Version. Verse 9, he says this, If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, then he is faithful. Everybody say he's faithful. That means he will not miss one time to forgive us of our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, then God was faithful and just to forgive us. If we confess our sins before God, if we go to God in repentance, then it doesn't matter how filthy you feel. It doesn't matter how terrible you feel coming to church. It doesn't matter how embarrassed you are about it. When God sees you, He sees you clean. Clean. 
clean. Clean. There is no unrighteousness when you confess your sins. There's not a spot on this. It's a little wrinkly. I did my best. There's not... It's, it, when you come to God and you have confessed your sins, listen, God does not see a little bit of you peeking through. God does not see what you used to be. God doesn't see how ugly it was. God doesn't... When He forgives you, He cleanses you from all unrighteousness. And so, hang on, hang on, wait, 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 wait. So when I stand before God... All he sees is the righteousness of Christ. He sees clean. He sees forgiven. He sees whole and well and not fractured. He sees clean. Now listen, here's the problem. Here's the problem. When I go to God and I say, God, forgive me of my sins and I repent of my sins, I turn from my sins, I confess my sins to God. He is faithful to forgive us of our sins. Here's a couple of things I want you to write down about that very, very quickly. When God forgives you of your sins, when God does it, He removes our sin completely. Everybody say completely. Completely. He does not leave a little bit of residue of your old you. Listen to me. Everybody look at me in the eye. I need a little, I need all you can give me. Everybody look at me real quick. Your forgiveness trumps your personality. And it trumps your culture. I'm going to say it again so you catch it. When God forgives you, He trumps your personality and culture. Now here's what I mean by that. God does not change your preference and if your favorite color is blue, it's going to be blue, okay? God doesn't change your personality. If you're loud, you're going to be loud. If you're quiet, you may be quiet. But here's what I mean by that. When you come to God, you don't say, well, God, I used to have an anger problem and I know you forgave me, but that's just who I am. No, that's not who I am anymore because He cleansed me from all of my unrighteousness. He's able to remove all of my sin. Here's another one. Listen, you can't go to God and say, God, I want this to go away, but you know my family history. That's my culture. You know where I come from. You know my people just struggle with this. My daddy struggled with this. My granddaddy struggled with this. No, 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 no. When he forgives you, he removes your sin completely. Shout completely. Shout completely. You don't have to come to God thinking you're fractured because your daddy was fractured. Or that you came from a broken home so you must be broken. Or, or, or that everybody in your family tree messed up this way, so you've got to mess up this way. No, no, no. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Shout amen. amen. Completely. 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 So he, he forgives our sin and removes it completely. And the second thing is this. He forgives our sin and He forgets it immediately. God forgets our sin immediately. He removes it completely and he forgets it immediately. This is so remarkable to me that God, the God who created the universe, the omniscient, all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful creator of the universe 
chooses to forget my sin. Isaiah 43 says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I love that. Not because of you, because of me. My own sake, he said, I will not remember. Listen, he didn't say I'll forget because he can't forget. He said, I choose to not remember anymore. I choose to not bring it up to you again. I choose to not know. God says, I know where you came from. You're not fooling me. I know what you did. I'm, I'm all-knowing. I'm, I, I, I was there when you did it. I, I saw the stuff you've been involved in. I know what your family was. But when I see you, I choose to only see clean. That's all I see. All I see is clean. Are you catching it? Say amen. Here's the problem. Here's where we go awry. Here's where things get out of whack. When I go to God, And I still feel dirty. And I still feel like there's no way he'll accept me again. There's no way I can be in relationship. If he finds out what I've done, like he doesn't know. If he finds out, if he... And so we go to God and we come to church or we don't come to church. And we walk around with this dark cloud over our head. And our shame is following us. And our confession and our repentance is clouded by our shame. And we say, God, I know that you said you could, but I just can't believe. Look how dirty this is. Look how black this is. There's no way. This is all I think you see of me. All I think you remember is the stuff I did. The only way I can be identified is with this thing. Surely, God, you don't mean that. And God literally looks down at you and says, I don't recall what you're talking about. I don't remember because when you confessed that, all I saw now was the righteousness of Christ that is put on you. And so you walk around, and I walk around with shame and guilt. And surely God can't. And surely He didn't mean grace was that free. Surely He didn't mean that it was that easy. Surely there's no way God could erase it. How many of you grew up in the 70s, 80s, 90s? Would you raise your hand? Do you remember an ancient device? Uh, it's, you, I don't even know if they're around anymore. It's prehistoric called a typewriter. Yeah. <laughs> you remember that? If you're under 30, let me explain. <clears throat> you would push a button and that button has letters on it and, and there's a bar behind it and on the end of that bar is the same letter and it would strike. I don't know why I'm looking at you, Sister Vicky. It would strike. It would strike that ink ribbon and it would put that letter on the paper. Now listen, here's the problem with typewriters. If you're a bad speller like I am, then your term paper at college or at school look like a giraffe wrote it. There's no way. 
that it made any sense because you can't. So, so there was another wonderful invention, and, and we, we call it by the brand name, but it was liquid paper. You remember? We call it whiteout, right? Whiteout's the brand name. And it, it's, if you're under 30, listen, it looks like fingernail polish, and it's not. You, you ever do that when you're a kid? Put whiteout. <laughs> Pastor Josh used to do that. I don't know why. <laughs> His sister did it to him. I used to sniff it. I, I used to smell it. And... True story. True story. So did you, didn't you? Yeah, you did. Sure you did. That's why we were poor spellers. <laughs> and you would put white out on your paper when you misspelled. You'd, you'd pull that piece of paper out of that typewriter and you would... You would white it out, but underneath the white out was still the letter. Did that letter ever leave that paper? And some of us view grace the same way. Well, maybe he just covers it up. And so when we go to God, we go in so much shame and covered up with so and so we we try all that we can. We buy all the bottles of white out we can and we cover up our stuff. Hoping God won't see it. And we think this is how God forgives us. Here's what I want you to know about God. Is it's more like a computer. Because on a computer you can hit the... And when you hit the delete button, is it still on the screen? Can you convince your teacher that you know how to spell? (laughs) Yeah. Because you can backspace over and over and over and over and over and over again. And it's like you never typed it. Listen to me. When we come to God and we confess our sins to Him, He completely removes our sin. Completely removes our sin. And He forgets it. He forgets it. He forgets it. Shout amen to that. God's not peeking underneath your whiteout. It's not there anymore. The only way the teacher knows you're a bad speller is if you don't know how to work spell check. The only way that God remembers is if you bring it back up to Him. The only way that God remembers is if you come to church with shame on you and, you and you quit coming to church and you say, oh, those people wouldn't like me anymore. There's no way. Look at all this shame on me. No, no, no. When, listen, when I fall, when I sin, when I mess up, the only thing that is most important to me is getting back into relationship with Jesus Christ. Like a child. Like a child. Like a child. Like a child, like a child. Now listen, here's the hard thing to do. Children naturally live under grace. And so it never enters their mind that you don't want to be in relationship. Hazel never questions whether or not mama's going to hug her. It's always going to happen. It doesn't matter if mama just got on to her. If she runs back to mama... She never questions, I wonder what I have to do to get back in right relationship with her. 
I wonder what I'll have to earn to get back in right relationship. Here's what we do when we get older and more mature and we wise up. You know, when we, when we know how God works as adults, here's what we do. We go to God and we say, God, listen, I appreciate what you're doing. It's a kind gesture. I thank you that you're willing to do it, but I don't know if you can completely forgive me. So I tell you what I'll do. This, by the way, is Pastor Randy's bed sheets. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. I've nev- <clears throat> I have never been to his bedroom. I mean that. Never. Come on, stay with me. Here's what we do. We go to God and we say, Hey, how about a little bit of you? and a little bit of me. I believe that you're able, but I just want to earn it a little bit. So here's what I'll do. I'll give an extra $20 in the offering, and in trade, you let me drink anything I want. You liked that, didn't you? I'll do, i tell you what I'll do. I'll help you out. I'll pray an extra 15 minutes and in in trade of that, you'll forgive me this week when I lose my temper. And we try to mix God's forgiveness with our efforts. And we say, God, I don't know if you're able to really forgive me. I don't know if you're thrilled with me right now, so I'll do what I can to earn it. And a little bit of me and a little bit of you And maybe we can get this accomplished. Listen to me very clearly. There is nothing, absolutely nothing that you can do to earn the forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ. Nothing. 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 Everybody say it's not in there. It is unbiblical for you to think you can buy God off with your money with your time, with your serving, with your dress, with nothing. There is nothing you can do to buy God off. He will not be bought. The only thing that cleanses us from unrighteousness is Jesus Christ. And He wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to be in relationship with me. And I want to learn how to live under that grace. Shout grace. Grace. I want to learn how to live in the state of grace. I want to learn. Listen, I've got five more minutes to preach and I want you to catch. This is the whole crux of the message the next five minutes. And all that craziness is gone, okay? Listen. Here's what I want you to know about grace. Grace is not some mystical idea that's, that, that, that in the Bible we sort of interchange it with different words and make it... Grace is a real thing and it really is extended to every single person who has ever lived on planet earth or will ever live on planet earth. Grace is not a license for you to live any way you want to, make any decision you want to, choose any lifestyle you want to. But conversely... Grace will not be purchased by your righteousness, your acts of service, your money, your time, or nothing else. Grace, clearly defined. I want you to get get your notes. Get ready. Grace, clearly defined. And living under grace, clearly defined as this. It's the life-changing, constant awareness 
of what I have been given in light of what I deserve. It's looking at my life and constantly being aware of what I have been given in light of what I deserve. It's looking at the health of my family. It's looking at my marriage. It's looking at my job. It's looking at God's blessings in my life. And it's constantly being aware of what I have been given in light of what I deserve. I deserve hell. You deserve hell. Sin has separated us from God. And the only penalty of sin is death. That's the only thing that God will accept as payment for sin is death. And I deserve it and you deserve it. And living under grace simply means recognizing every day of my life and every situation of my life constantly being aware of what I have been given in light of what I deserve. Listen to me. Grace plus anything you have to offer is not grace. Grace plus anything you have to offer is not grace at all. It's not grace at all. I want to show you very quickly a biblical example of what grace really is, and this is where we'll end. You've heard this story before. There uh, there was a woman who comes to Jesus, and Jesus is at Simon's house. Simon is a Pharisee. Remember that. The Pharisees were good people. They really were. They, they started out as, as a religious sect that sort of wanted to please God and do the right thing. And, and Simon was a Pharisee. And this woman who came to the house of Simon was a prostitute. She was a prostitute. And, and, and she was uninvited. Jesus was just in town, and, and she had heard through the grapevine that Jesus was at Simon's house. So she goes into the house uninvited. Imagine what you would do if somebody just... Have you ever held a party and looked around and thought, how did she get here? You're going to do that this Thanksgiving. You're going to look around your house and say, I didn't invite them. I I don't even like them. I didn't invite them. And Simon looks around and he says, how did she get here? And when she walks in the house, Jesus is sitting down. And she immediately, the Bible says, she immediately ran to Jesus. And she lays on his feet and she starts weeping and sobbing uncontrollably. And the Bible says she washed his feet with her tears. I can't imagine how many tears that are. But I just know this, she was broken and she's sobbing. And then she lets her hair down and she wipes the tears off of his feet. And then she, she, she has this jar of perfume. It's made out of alabaster. It's extremely expensive. And she breaks it open and she pours it on his feet. And Simon is absolutely livid about this. Simon looks on her in disgust and he says, you're breaking all the rules. And if you're not careful, listen, you have read this story. If you've been around church at all, you've read this story a hundred times and you will begin to think that she is begging for mercy, that she's asking Jesus to do something for her, that she's trying to earn his mercy and forgiveness. I can't tell you how wrong you are. And so she, in this extravagant act of worship, Simon's upset, Simon gets crazy, and grace shows up. And begins to speak to her. Two things grace will always do in your life. Number one, write it down. It will always change your heart's affection. It will change your heart's affection. And Jesus calms the crowd 
and quiet Simon. Look at Luke 7 and verse 44. Don't turn there. Look on the screens. Then he turned towards the woman. I love that. And he said to Simon. Jesus is talking to Simon and looking at the woman. Listen to me. When you come to God in genuine confession and repentance, all that God is interested in is restoration. Not what your haters say about you. Not what your family says about you. Not how many times you've been to the altar. Not how many times you've repented of this. Jesus looks in her eyes and talks to to Simon over here. And he's looking at her. And Grace steps up and he says this. Then he turned towards the woman and said, To Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. And you didn't give me any water for my feet. And she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. And this woman from the time she came in has not stopped kissing my feet. Come on, Brother Gerwin. And you did not put oil on my head. And she's poured perfume all over my feet. Therefore, verse 47, therefore. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Listen, listen. Because... As her great love has shown. Listen. Whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. It's amazing how your heart's affection changes when you've been forgiven of much. Here's what Jesus said. She's not here begging for forgiveness. She's here because I've already forgiven her. She is responding to. Listen. Grace gives you a chance to change your heart's affection. It gives you a chance to respond to Jesus in a way you've never responded before. What they didn't know is at some other time, I don't even know when, the Bible's not clear when, but at some other time, Pastor Josh, Jesus had already met this woman and had already forgiven her of her sins. She was no longer a prostitute. She was just there responding to what had already taken place in her life. Listen to me, look at me. In just a moment, there are going to be people run to this front and you're going to think, I wonder what she's begging forgiveness for. I wonder what he did this time. Not every time you come to the front, it's to ask for forgiveness. Sometimes tears fall because you're so grateful for what he's already done in your life. So she breaks this alabaster jar and she pours it all over his feet. And this is so significant. Simon would say, man, what a waste. And and the disciples would say, man, what a waste. And the truth is it was extremely expensive. Here, listen close. Here's what's so crazy about this. It was actually the cost of about a year's salary. It was actually the cost of her entire year's salary. Now she's a prostitute. And she breaks open this jar. Listen to what grace does. It changes your heart's affection and then it changes your life's direction. Listen. When a prostitute would would be on the side of the road in ancient Palestine, the only way, because there was open-air markets, evangelists, there were open-air markets there and there were women everywhere, the only way a man would know that you were a prostitute, there was no red light district, you know what I mean? There was no way he would know except you would pour this perfume all over you and you would smell a certain way and and, and a gentleman caller would know you were a prostitute by how you smelled and temptation would literally fill his lungs up and he would know you were a prostitute. So listen, 
When she broke open that bottle, she was telling the world, I'm not what I used to be. My life is changing. And and in light of His grace, my life's changed directions. I know you guys think I used to be that, but I just wanted to, oh, I just wanted y'all to say, I don't know this, this isn't in the Bible, but I wonder if anybody in the room knew what that smell was. (laughs) I've often wondered. I've often wondered if Simon was so upset because he had smelled that smell before. And he broke open that box. She broke open that box. And she said to the world, the thing I used to be, I am no longer. In light of His grace, my life's completely changed. Stand all over the house. When a child receives forgiveness and grace, the only thing they want is relationship. She was pouring her opportunity today to sin tomorrow. She was pouring out her opportunity today to sin tomorrow. It was what it was what she made her living doing and she changed her whole life's course. Listen, some of you are here today and your life feels like it's out of control and the sin that you feel and the shame that you feel when you come to God is almost overbearing. It's ugly. It's black. You can't imagine telling. You sure wouldn't tell anybody in church. But you can't imagine telling God all this stuff. It just looks horrible to you. How in the world could God forgive me of all this stuff? How could He do that? You confess your sins over and over and then some of you have been in church for a long time and and you've decided to make a deal with Him. A little bit of you and a little bit of me and maybe we can do this together. Maybe I'll help you out forgiving me. Maybe I'll help you out with grace and I'll do my part and you do your part and that's not how God works. And tonight in just a couple of seconds, God wants to make you clean. Completely clean. When a child comes to mama, all she knows is I'm back in relationship. It's amazing, Sam, how quickly they forget. Hazel never remembers her mama just beat her half senseless. She doesn't do that. She never remembers. Time. It could be 45 minutes of time out. It doesn't matter. Because when I come back to mama, when I come back to my father, when I come back to relationship with him, all is made right. Here's my invitation to you tonight. Come back to relationship. If you're going to view grace and forgiveness like a child does, you have to be able to come to God and say, I've messed up. I'm a sinner. I, I, listen, I confess this stuff, but I am ready for forgiveness and grace. and I deserve death. I deserve hell. I deserve the worst possible punishment. But in light of your grace, I'm confessing to you my need and I receive your forgiveness. Now, Lord Jesus, with your heads bowed, Lord Jesus. And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.